Uh, I'm sorry. Did they just finish a 19 inning game and not call anybody up the following day? Yes, that is correct. Okay, there's lots. <laughs> He absolutely loves baseball. He's the one who's like walking up and down the dugout, grinning from ear to ear, messing with his teammates. What's the do-over, Josh? Oh, God. Um, Don't get caught, really. I mean, (laughs) that's what it is. And welcome to episode 73 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we promise to never ever have a bonus segment that lasts longer than the entire regular podcast, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and uh, here in regulation with me is Josh Housem. How's it going, Josh? Good. Nice to have you along this week for our, our pitiful review of the sad little team we call the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we, we, we've talked a lot about the pain of injuries and stuff, so we're going to go over all of the disabled stints for the Blue Jays this year, just so you folks have it all in one handy spot. <clears throat> then we're going to go over the call-ups, because those are people who are still uh, able to play ineffectively. Uh, Brett Anderson, who's a little more effective. Roberto Osuna, who's not effective. Josh Donaldson, who was effectively thrown out way too early in an at-bat. <laughs> uh, Justin Smoke, who's been effective at hitting home runs. Uh, J.D. Martinez was so effective this week, it's worth comparing him to Carlos Delgado, unfavorably, of course. We have an interview with Emily Walden, uh, who is a minor league uh, correspondent with 2080 Baseball. She's going to talk I was waiting about... for you to say how, how she was effective somehow. Come on. She's very effective at uh, answering her Skype. And, and... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, we effectively have questions from you, and then we have the, the Red Sox, who are effective at stealing signs if they're doing it in an illegal way thus begins episode number 73 and i'm going to give you the honorable task of telling us all of the disabled list stints that the blue jays have been subjected to this year before i do that can you guess who the first people to go on the disabled list were do you remember it was four of them on the first day of the year uh bo schultz that's one um was dalton pompey on there that's two uh, Roberto Osuna? That's three. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. And Glenn Sparkman. <laughs> Sparkman? <laughs> Get in here. So that, in that was the auspicious start <laughs> to the season. You know, Sparkman and Schultz, I don't think were too worrisome, although you know, you know my feelings about Bo Schultz, friend of the podcast. But Osuna and Pompey were the Oh, no. Okay, well, this is a bad start. And then it just sort of continued. A, later in the in the week, J.P. Howell. <laughs> we, didn't even get out of the, we, we didn't get out of the week? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the following week, Josh Donaldson. And then three days after that, no, the next day, Aaron Sanchez. And then <laughs> well, three days after that, Jay Happ. Well, none of those guys are really important to the success of the club anyway. We just keep rolling. And then Troy Tulowitzki also went on the disabled list in April. That was just April. <clears throat> so May comes around, not actually quite as bad, except for the fact that Russell Martin, Francisco Liriano, <laughs> Steve Pierce, Daryl Siciliano, Siciliani, who was an injury call-up, then Alfred, who was also an injury call-up, and then Aaron Sanchez again. 
and then Josh Donaldson came back with with Torlutsky and Hap. So they got some guys back, but it was still just ridiculous. Again, only April and May. I think this is what led to my uh, don't the defense against the dark arts comparison for uh, left field for the Jays. Like every guy here, you're playing left field. Oh, oh, something egregious has happened to your body. <laughs> you're out. Next. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at the disabled list list here. Devin Travis let off April. Actually, JP Howell again, and then Devin Travis. And then this is funny. They just had so many injuries that apparently Matt Andrews they put him on the disabled list. You know, he never played for them. <laughs> <laughs> Like, look, just the Jays are just getting guys hurt. Yeah, so the April ones were Travis Howell again, Carrera, Chris Coglin, Joe Smith. Sorry, are we in what, what month are we and in? And Lionel Campos. Did I say I meant to say June? June. Sorry. Oh, we moved on to June. Okay. Well, yeah. 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 So we're pretty much at the entire roster now. We can feel the team off the DL. Yeah, it's really, really, really bad. <laughs> July was not quite as bad. It was Luke Maley, who was just one of the catchers. Mike Bolsinger, because and no, we're not allowed to have Aaron Sanchez again. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez has 36 innings pitched this year, for reference. Yeah. Danny Barnes, because, again, can't have nice things. A guy who was looking good out of the pen. And that was for July. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah. Walk in the park for July. August, another backup catcher, Miguel Montero. Cesar <sighs> Valdez. Troy Tulowski moving to the 60-day disabled list after going spraining his ankle. Taylor Cole. Russell Martin, again. Is it wrong that Valdez and Cole didn't even register in my brain as being Blue Jays until you said that they were on the disabled list? Okay, so for the record, so Baseball Prospectus does their annual every year, and Matt and I write in the comments, and I had to put together a list of players, and I'm going through, like, I forgot this guy played with the team, or this guy. (laughs) So I'm right there with you. So fast. Really? Like three guys in August? Yeah. I'm sure we And nobody so far, knocking on wood. In September? In September. So... Was there anybody on that list that was on the opening roster that wasn't? Actually, there were two, at least. Jose Bautista. Who and Kevin Pilar. Been... <laughs> now, Pilar has been better than last year. It might not feel like it, but he has been. Scary, I know. And he also leads this team in doubles. Also scary, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but relative to what you needed from Jose Bautista, Bautista he has been garbage. He's been out hit by Carrera. He's been out hit by Pierce. He's been out hit by, well, anything but the backup catchers. He's been hit out hit by everybody. You know, by OPS, he's only ahead of like Ryan Goins, Darren Barney, and Troy Tulowitzki. Who actually, I don't even know if it's Tulo. I, I don't see him on this list because he doesn't have enough bats to qualify. He's been objectively bad, but he's been healthy. <laughs> yeah, he's been healthy. Now, obviously, there are a few guys other than him too. Smoke's been healthy. Stroman has been healthy despite getting hit by a ball and having a blister. And the guy that's been mostly healthy since his first disabled list, we think, Roberto Osuna. <laughs> Who, since the All-Star breakish, has also been objectively, well, I won't call it bad because he has had good outings. I will call it inconsistent 
and that's a big problem when the man is closing games for you oh yeah and you know I think you could say he's been bad since the all-star game I mean yes he has had like you said some games where he has gotten the job done he has 13 saves in that time but he's blown seven of them he's been eminently hittable that's the problem yeah, he's. I mean, his ERA for since the All Star break is six, which you know when you're a late inning reliever averaging a, two runs every three innings you throw, that's not going to get it done. And you know, it's we we've talked about this before, but it's this strange reliance on cutters that keeps letting him get hit. But also, you know, this fastball is down, and I think we have to get to a point where maybe he should just stop pitching this year. Yeah. I mean, the, the the GM came on the radio today and defended Roberto Osuna, and and I don't have a problem. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of toxicity around this situation, and I don't want us because I think you and I have the, a very similar opinion to get wrapped up in in the idea that somehow it's Roberto Osuna's fault that he's not doing well, or he's not trying hard enough, or. <clears throat> I don't think that has anything to do with it. I, I and I don't think no. his anxiety issues have anything to do with it either. This is not on Roberto Osuna. This is on management to make a strategic decision to say you are not the pitcher you were ten months ago. You 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 don't you your your body cannot currently do the things that it did before. Before it gets any worse, maybe it's time to shut you down. So I don't, I don't blame Osuna. If, they, if they're going to give him the ball, of course, he's going to go out there and he's going to throw the ball. C- could he be complaining of, of pain and he isn't? I don't know. I have no clue. Uh, so I'm not going to get into whether he's in pain or whether he's uncomfortable or anything else. It doesn't matter. The results are clearly different than what he was doing last year. At, you know, in exactly the same role. It should not have changed this much something is wrong with Roberto Osuna and the team has an obligation to protect that asset. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. And we've had, uh, we've referenced this before with regards to Osuna, but Mike son and his fatigue units, uh, when it comes to Roberto Osuna, the only pitcher who had a higher amount by this age ever was Madison Bumgarner. And he's a starting pitcher. And his only his closest comp that he threw out there among relievers was Johnny Venters. Who's Mr. Arm, Three Tommy Johns. Yeah, exploded on multiple occasions. Hint, hint. Do, do you want to be associated with, with this? Or do you want to just dial it back with, with a season that's clearly not going anywhere? There, there's nothing to prove here. Just... Uh, yeah, and I think that's the point, right? It's, this team, if they were good... If they were contending, you don't even think about this because he is, even with his subpar performance of late, he's still a very good relief pitcher. And I don't think either of us would disagree with that. No. No, he, he and, and, and given the subpar stuff that he's been dealt from what he's used to, it's still plus stuff and it still gets people out lots of times. Right, exactly. And that's very good and useful, but this team is done. I mean, they're so far out of it now that there's no <laughs> hope of making the postseason. And... We had a question about this, about other relievers as well, but when it comes to Osuna specifically, I think it's something that they really should be considering. Shutting him down. And I do, and it doesn't sound like they are, at least not at this current time, and and that's unfortunate. Um, especially since they've got all of these other guys who might be able to fill in the innings that don't really matter. Let's 
talk about people who got good news at the beginning of September. Uh, there's there's <laughs> quite the list. Well, not, not as many as I actually was expecting. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, did they just finish a 19-inning game and not call anybody up the following day? Yes, that is correct. Okay, there's lots. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough <laughs> uh, Brett Anderson who we're going to talk about was one of the people who came back came up Chris Rowley came back we've seen a bunch of him in the rotation mm-hmm. and then we got uh, Luke Maley back and a few new guys Richard Urania the prospect middle infielder Teoscar Hernandez who they got from Lir- for Liriano uh, Chris Rowley who I mentioned, Luis Santos, and then Carlos Ramirez, who is an interesting name. He's a converted outfielder who gave up zero runs in the minor leagues this year. Which is a crazy statistic, no matter which level you're playing at. Correct. And in his first four innings in the big leagues, he's given up zero runs. So (laughs) that's an unbelievable season. I mean, say what you will about him as a prospect. He's got a good fastball and a really nice slider, and he might be something... I don't care. He'll always have this magical year because that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, he was, there was someone who was talking to him after the call up and I can't remember. I think it was on the radio. I heard it. And, and basically his idea was, well, I I think it was Jerry. um, uh, He was reluctant to, to start pitching, but when he realized that his future was not (laughs) as a fielder uh, and, and he was not able to going to make the majors as a hitter, he, he embraced that and, and went for it but decided, okay, I'm just going to have two pitches right now. If I can get somewhere with these two pitches, I will work on another pitch come 2017. But I just want to see if I can figure this thing out as simply as possible. So there might be more things to come from him. Yeah, he's definitely someone to watch. Yeah, as a hitter in the minors, he had a career 225 batting average with a 292 on base and a 347 slugging and not much base stealing. I mean, that just wasn't going to play. Yeah. I mean, ask Anthony Ghost how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Good comp. Except, well, I mean, Ramirez doesn't throw 99 like Anthony goes, but (laughs) he also doesn't give up runs. Um, We we have seen Teoscar Hernandez playing center field. We've seen him in the lineup. We've seen Urania in the lineup. So they are using these guys uh, in a way that you would expect a team out of contention to try and use them. Yeah, this is kind of the silver lining, I guess, to them not faking contention through September. Oh, sorry. Did you mention Michael Saunders? Oh, I forgot Saunders. How did I forget him? Of course. <laughs> the return of Captain Canada, because he's, he's batting fifth tonight, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, even Saunders, you know, it's like maybe he can be something again because he was terrible for the Phillies. But, you know, if the Jays were this team that was two, well, maybe not two, two, that'd be interesting enough, but say four games out, you know, the start of September and fighting for those spots, but not really fighting for them. Like it's like basically what the entire month of August, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't be seeing these guys play because the team would be rolling with whatever the best hope as a major leaguer they had. But because they're just done, we get to see, okay, maybe Urania or Teoscar Hernandez, or I'm guessing Anthony Alford will come up at some point. And Michael Saunders, maybe who knows? But these guys are going to see, like, okay, maybe they can help the team next year. Let's see how they do down the stretch. 
and this is a better tryout than spring training ever is right because the, the scheduling and the and the grind is is much more uh informative as to what you've got than facing some guy from double a in the seventh inning of a minor league game uh, or a uh, a spring training game in florida in the sunshine in march Although, if you're the Blue Jays, you might be facing some double-A guy in Boston in the cold of September in the 18th inning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's an exception rather than the rule. <laughs> Brett Anderson, uh, he had himself a good start. He threw, what, 59 pitches in six innings or something? Give yeah. Three runs. So ruthlessly efficient. He's And he's been pretty efficient the whole time he's he's been out. Uh, and then he... He got really happy about that, and he went on Twitter to announce how happy he was with his performance. That did not go as planned, I don't think. <laughs> well, I mean, it started with him sort of taking a shot at the Cubs. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to take a shot at a, at any team from New York, Chicago, or Boston uh, in any sport out loud on Twitter. <laughs> Just waiting for people to who already followed me from those teams <laughs> to see what they had to say about it. My favorite one of the tweets, though, so he t his original tweet was, it's crazy what happens when you aren't tinkered with and can just go out and pitch, which, you know what? I think there's truth to that. And that's sort of Bo Bichette's whole philosophy, which we'll get into with Emily Walden. But he didn't want to get dealt. He just wanted to just hit. And it's like, if it doesn't work, then we'll fix it. And that's basically what Brad Anderson was saying. He's like, look, I've been good. If, I, if people just let me go do it, I can still be good. But, but then someone says classy did you ever think that you wouldn't even be in Toronto without the chance the Cubs gave you in response I'm left-handed with a pulse it didn't matter <laughs> <laughs> he knows he knows he's he's <laughs> obviously a baseball fan I am sure there are good left-handed guys who look around and uh you know look at the Aaron Laffies of the world <laughs> and think well as long as he's got a job I can probably <laughs> replace him somewhere, somewhere down the line. <laughs> and it's just sort of that thing. It's like if you're Anthony Ghost, like a great, great example. But say you're not even like a guy who throws as hard as Anthony Ghost does. If you're like Daryl Siciliani, you're like, hmm, maybe I should start pitching. It's like, I'm left-handed. I've got an arm. Like, I'll get a job for a long time this way. If Travis Snyder got Joey Votto out, anything is possible. Yeah. But just on Anderson, he's been really really quite good and we talked about this when he was first signed if this team was still in contention contention nice speaking contention this would be a value <laughs> yeah wait, wait do we say that word wrong uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no he's he's thrown 11 and two-thirds and he's given up four runs with no walks i mean that's pretty darn good yeah and that's again that's what we expected it's not that he's ever been horrible per se he's more often than not been good he's just not been on the field so yeah um, and not, right now he's on the field so go take the ball mr anderson because this team is not going to hit for anybody anderson. mr yeah let's flash back to the 90s okay uh quickly now the uh josh donaldson tossed on strike one in extra innings uh what was your thought on that it was bizarre <laughs> I, I, so I didn't see this live, but I saw the highlights of it. He wasn't even looking at the umpire when he was thrown out. He was actually in his batting stance waiting for the next pitch to be thrown. Now, he wasn't being quiet about it. But yes, he was waiting oh. for the next pitch. Um, I think that the absurdity for me is umpires 
as a group, the very first thing you learn as an umpire is you do not get paid by the hour. <laughs> and that you have <laughs> some measure of control over how quickly things go in unimportant games. I.e., the bigger the strike zone is, the faster the game runs. Um, so, for a guy in, was it the 14th inning? The 15th? Umpire's been on his feet for four and a half hours. Wasn't it like the 18th inning? Was it that far along? Yeah, I think so. So four and a half, five hours in, umpire is in agony after crouching like a billion times for every pitch of this game. And he decides that one of the few guys who can end this game with one swing of the bat is just too much trouble to be in the game anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everything I ever learned is an umpire. Yeah, it was just, it was ridiculous. (laughs) And then Dawson lost his mind. Yeah, um, I, my favorite tweet was um, someone said, um, next thing, Josh Donaldson's going to put up a PowerPoint presentation on the Green Monster as to what he thought about that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would actually be kind of funny. Yeah. And another thing. Um, okay, so Justin Smoke would be one of the other guys that could have done something in that game and did nothing for 13 innings of shutout baseball from the Red Sox uh, bullpen, which, by the way, is a major league record. Whoa, that's exciting. Nice to be on the wrong end of yet another thing in that game. Um, so Smoke's going to hit 40 bombs, and our good friend Richard Leesim is uh, is committed to something after that. Are you aware of that? Yeah, he's going to end up in the hospital. That's what he's committed to. <laughs> <laughs> Back in, what was it? Was it even like in June? I don't know. He tweeted out, if, if Smoke hits 40 bombs, I'm going to take 40 shots. <laughs> Lucky he didn't say in like 40 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, he's up to 37. We got two and a half weeks to go, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's a pretty safe, I wouldn't say it's a guarantee. I mean, it is still three more, but it's a pretty safe bet he's going to get there. And he never really cooled down at all. No, it's, it was, it's very nice for Justin Smoke. I think sometimes, you know, your career year, should be something that blows everybody's mind, regardless of of everything else. He seems like a good guy, other than that. Maybe he puts mayonnaise on his pasta thing. Um, <laughs> Does that stop his nice guy status? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it questions his judgment. Really, is what I'm saying. Here, here's a fun one. Justin Smoke does not lead the team in runs. Who do you think does? Hmm. Ezekiel Carrera. <laughs> Jose Bautista. Well, I was going to say that just based on how many games Jose Bautista's played. Yeah, he's played pretty much every game, and he's let off for a bunch of them. But it just shows the silliness of runs as a stat. But he's going to lead a team in runs and have a horrible season. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay, so before we go to uh, our other uh, interview, I wanted to mention J.D. Martinez quickly had he hit four home runs second player with scooter jennett <laughs> it still blows my mind to have four home <laughs> runs in a game this season which is like the first time since 2001 that that's ever happened something like that so congratulations to jd who got traded to the diamondbacks and they got every dollar worth of that trade regardless of what they traded for it yeah they didn't even trade much for him and he's been awesome he's got 18 home runs with them in 41 games Ay-yay-yay. So, hey, he likes it in Arizona. Arizona is another high elevation spot that doesn't get talked about that much. And not a very yeah, big Yeah, they're ballpark. calling him H.R. Martinez. 
<laughs> well deserved. Um, but like most people who hit four home runs in a game, he did uh, four for five, which is just fine. And is one. it is baseball's most singular one-game accomplishment is the uh, four home run game. But Carlos Delgado, we have to bring him up. For those of you who don't know or don't remember, Carlos Delgado hit four home runs in a game and only had four plate appearances to do it. That is mind-boggling. Yeah, and it also said something about the Jays of that period that somehow he only got four at-bats <laughs> despite hitting four home runs. Yeah. Where's the rest of the offense? A wall. No, it was really cool, and that was the last game of the season in a dreadful year, and it just... And it's the only person to ever do it, as you said. So that's very, very cool. So um, they call a Maddox. Uh, that is a a game where you have thrown less than 100 pitches, thrown a complete game shutout. There is one Maddox in 10 innings, and that was thrown by Roy Halladay, who somehow managed in 10 innings to throw less than 100 pitches and throw a complete game shutout. I, I believe that should just be called a Halladay. I, I think, think we talked about that on this podcast. Right. I think if you go four for four with four home runs that should be a delgado i think it should just be a carlos it sounds better that a carlos way. you you today we are carlos's you are carlos <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm with you we're, we're, we're starting it right now yep pay attention people he, okay. he's the interesting one only yep. one time that it happened has it resulted in the team losing the game can you imagine that you hit four bombs and your team still loses <laughs> I just the the come on guys yeah. from that guys come on what come on yeah who was it Bob Horner in 1986 poor Bob um okay that said now we've discussed all of the important happenings in our unimportant week for the Blue Jays whose record shall remain unspoken we're gonna go talk to Emily Walden about the future. Uh, which is much brighter when you talk about guys like Vlad Guerrero and Bobachette, and we'll be back with her right after this. And I would like to welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, Emily Walden of both 2080 Baseball and The Athletic Detroit. Emily, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So uh, you are uh, a minor league-ish uh, correspondent, at least in, in regards to the Blue Jays. You have seen some folks at Dunedin, some folks at Lansing. So we thought we would uh, would bring you on for an eyewitness account for some of the players that we've heard a lot about, but of course haven't had a chance to see. Um, the first player that we're going to start off with then uh, would be someone who you have talked to, Anthony Alford, who uh, whose fortunes have been looking up this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about Anthony. Yeah, I would have to say Anthony is probably one of the most optimistic people I've ever spoken to. Um, even before he got injured, when he was going through just the transition of trying to get to the major league level like all these guys are, he never once complained, never once, you know, talked 
frustrated about anything. He's never badmouthed anyone. He's just so focused on the task at hand. And I think that's really what was behind a lot of the success he saw this year. And another piece to it is how resilient he is. Um, going through the injury when he had his major league debut, having to rehab and work his way back, he hasn't missed a step. He's still as focused as ever and in really, really good spirits, which I think is a great sign for the Blue Jays system. Now, you've obviously been doing some of this prospect stuff for a while. Would you have seen him last year or was it the year before when he was in Lansing? I actually did not get a chance to see him when he was in Lansing. Um, the first time I got to see him was actually this year um, in person. I had caught some of his games on MILB TV, so I saw a little bit of footage from him that way. But other than that, just studied a lot of his past work. And then I got to see him with W New Hampshire this year, and that was when he and I got the chance to catch up in person. Yeah, I've actually I've spoken to Anthony as well and wrote a piece on him. He might be the nicest person in the history of baseball. (laughs) I would have to agree. He is the kind of person that, like for me especially, being a woman in baseball, you're always trying to stay very conscious of how your behavior comes across. Not out of a place of insecurity, but just wanting to, you know, stay, stay in a good light and really show that you're very serious about what you're trying to accomplish. And when I first met him in person... I stuck my hand out, obviously, to shake his hand because I'm not going to run up and hug someone. And that's exactly what he did. (laughs) (laughs) And so, of course, he's he's that type of a personality. He's 100% genuine, absolute gentleman, just one of the absolute classiest guys I have met anywhere around the league. So it was really very much an honor to be able to talk to him. And you you talked about his dedication and his desire to be better. You, I believe you mentioned to me that he has now moved closer to the facility in order to be able to train better. Um, that was what he was in the process of doing when I spoke to him um, in the Eastern League. And he said basically what they were wanting to do is sell their house. They currently live in Mississippi, he and his wife Bailey. And their goal was to sell their house and move to Dunedin to be closer to the training facility. So I'm not quite sure where they are in the process with that. But I know his wife Bailey was in kind of the the whole mode of getting that taken care of while he was wrapping up the season. So I'm sure they're very close to that. So certainly encouraging. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the fact that he's gotten gotten the call up is, is uh, very nice that he, he worked his way back from the injury and, and, and finds himself back on the uh, the roster again. Um, we'll move, I guess, to the guys who maybe you've seen a little bit more of being as you're you're in Michigan. Um, they aren't there anymore, but Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero have been on have pretty much every hardcore Blue Jays fans mind uh Bo Bichette first we'll save maybe the the most uh shocking for last uh what what did you make of Bo when you saw him it's impossible to not get excited about Bo (laughs) he's the kind of guy that you can really watch him in one game and he he is the total package he's got all of the tools He's got maturity. He's got just all the little pieces that you want to see in a guy who's coming up. And he's only 19 years old. He's still, he's a baby, you know, in comparison to some of the other guys around the league. And something I really respect so, so greatly about Bo is how focused he is. Um, To be as young as he is, as you guys know, the pressure of an excessive amount of money being tossed at you at a young age is not an easy thing to handle. So the fact that he has stayed as level-headed as he has, 
Um, the numbers, you guys saw the numbers he put up. And Lansing, I mean, he was sitting around 400 for pretty much the whole season. Um, just going insane with the stuff that he went through for them. And then obviously carrying over to a 300-plus season with the Blue Jays in Dunedin. And it's the success speaks for itself. It really does. I think that he's getting a better feel for who he is as a prospect um, he's learning more about his body. He's learning more of what he's capable of. And I think as he gets a little more seasoned, I think next season we're really going to start to see what he could do and just how dangerous he is for the Blue Jays. So he's obviously got a bat, and, and there's been some talk of not wanting to mess with his swing. But the the real cu- curiosity is is a lot of guys start at shortstop, and they don't end up there by the time they get to the majors. When When you watch him play, do you think shortstop? I really don't. Um, I think that he's athletic enough to where he could at least hold his own probably anywhere you put him. Um, The fact that he's a little bit smaller, I obviously wouldn't put him on like first base or something like that because I want to say he's right around six foot. So obviously for like that corner, you're going to look for guys who are a little bit taller. Uh, But with Bo, I honestly, I think he profiles more as a second baseman. Um, I've seen him play both second and shortstop and He's just got a fluidity over there. Um, really good movements. He moves well to both sides. Um, really soft hands, good footwork. He still, every once in a while, will flash a little bit of a misstep, but I think that's just really based on maturity and learning how his body works. Um, defensively, is you know it's totally different. Instead of being at the plate, you've got to learn how, how can you get your body to work for you. And I think the fact that he is this mature at such a young age He's only going to get better from this point moving forward. You've talked now a couple times about his youth and how rare that level of skill and maturity is for someone at that at that age. You also he also has this these unorthodox styles that are playing perfectly. But how rare is this to see a guy like that at this age? I think it's incredibly rare, and I think especially for the Blue Jays to have the guys. Obviously, he gets paired up with Vlad Jr. all the time because they're they're exceptional. I don't really think there's another word to use for it, where you have guys who have such a deep understanding of how to be successful in the game and then also have learned how to translate that understanding through their skill set and be able to produce wherever they're at. I mean, they both saw exceptional success at both levels that they played at this season. And I think as long as they're able to translate their skills to the double-A level, that's really going to be the telltale sign. Because everybody always says, if you can move up that way into the Eastern League and see the same success, that's really going to be a sign of smooth sailing moving forward. So I think for both of them, they're just going to have to be able to get those tools to translate a level up, and they can really see even bigger success moving forward. So you mentioned the man of the day, hour, minute, whatever it is, uh, Vladimir Guerrero year. Jr. Oh, yes, year. Oh, yes, man of the year. Uh, minor leaguer of the year, I believe, was what it was called from ESPN, uh, which was announced today, which we pre-booked you. I want people to know that. We we didn't do this afterwards. Um, when you see a player get some kind of accolade where they are ranked number one by someone, um, does that match up in Vlad's case with what you saw at the plate and on the field? I think for the future it does. I think right now, if you watch him on the field, while he does have a lot of success, you still see a little bit of a, a young kid out on the field. He absolutely loves 
baseball. He's the one who's like walking up and down the dugout, grinning from ear to ear, messing with his teammates. He's 18. He's still a kid. And I think the fact that he's able to carry that enjoyment over just makes it that much more fun for him because he knows his job is to go out there and just destroy baseballs, just like he watched his dad do, you know, from when his dad played. And so the fact that he, I think, understands what is required of him, I think more as he kind of learns his body, I think he's going to shed some of that stocky build that he has right now. I think he's still got a little baby fat he's working with. Um, and we all know how his dad panned out as well. So he's a much lankier version, but I think Junior is going to slim down a little bit more too, and that could lead to a position change in the future. Um, so I think we'll have to kind of wait and see how that pans out, but definitely a big future for sure. And now, obviously, as Greg alluded to, he's got this big-time prospect hype, and everything is Vlad, 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 Vlad. Was there anything going into this that you expected of him that he exceeded or didn't in terms of his actual on-field performance? Because obviously even Toronto, there's a ton of hype even before the season, then he had this great year. Yeah, I would say if I had to pick a red flag, if any, it's definitely more on the defensive side. Um, he's been at third base for quite a while. I want to say he spent most of his time there while he was still in rookie league ball last year. And there was a little bit of a rumor going around that he was under consideration for the outfield um, because he's got a very, very strong arm. And so I think that if he were able to really kind of slim down a bit, work on his speed, because he's definitely below average speed right now, um, just a very big, bulky body, not seriously overweight by any means, but just a very solid, solid build that really kind of holds him back from being as quick as he could be. So... I would say defensively, I have seen him at times look a little bit lost. Um, not quite sure as far as movement to his left or his right. Um, gets a little bit of a slow jump on some of those sharp ground balls that you really have to be on your toes for. And I think that that's just a sign of maturity as well. Um, he is learning kind of how that works on the defensive side. And I think that he has been trained to be a hitter. And so that's really his comfort zone. He grew up the son of an exceptional hitter, and that's what he wants to follow in. So that's something he's much more confident with, and he's going to have to kind of find that balance between the two sides. So uh, that's it's interesting to see if you know how that'll come out, because that is always the question about where a bat will play. If, if the bat is really amazing, I mean, you, you will find a spot for it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's kind of funny, too, along the lines of Junior, we were actually having a conversation about this the other day with Matt Manning, who is the Tigers, one of their top pitching prospects. He's just 19 years old. And you really have to kind of take a step back and say, these guys are so incredibly hyped. Where is this going to pan out down the road? Obviously, a lot of them get much more hype than they should. But I think for these ones specifically, they've proven that they're worth it and it's just going to take some time and people are going to have to understand even if they have a really exceptional skill set they're still going to have to iron out the wrinkles there's still going to be a little bit of a growing pain a little self-discovery and you're really going to have to kind of let them have that time to figure their body out as teenage guys and then kind of find more of a flow moving forward both of these guys are, of course, the sons of, of uh, major leaguers. I think a lot of people who maybe are watching the Blue Jays don't remember Dante Bichette. Uh, and, of course, just about everybody remembers Vlad. Uh, but they were both impact 
players in their own right. Do, do you think we, we talk a lot about fathers and sons and baseball just sort of as a uh, nostalgic sort of thing, but do you think that they have a different perspective on the game or does it, does it play to the way that they, they handle the game and adversity um, a little differently because they're sons of, of players who had real success? I'm sure they probably got a little bit of an inside look on how that type of pressure is handled. And while I think every player, whether they're the son of someone who came before them, they're the brother of someone who came before them, I think anytime you follow a relation in the game, you're going to want to have your own identity in the role that you play. And I know for a fact both guys have just the utmost respect for their dads. And so I think that there are certain nuances that I'm sure they try and pattern their own play after. But I know for a fact, Bo is very independent. I know Junior just adores his dad, but I know he's wanting to become his own player as well. So I think it's going to kind of be finding their own, you know, their own beat to their own drummer, you know, kind of discovering their own makeup, but then also finding little bits and pieces where they go, you know what? dad did that and he found success I think I'm going to try that too and see if it works for me but at the end of the day they're really going to have to discover their own stride because they are their own people and while their parents found success they're different and so they're going to have to find their own identity as they go forward yeah well we'll certainly be looking forward to that and so we talked about Alfred Vlad Bichette these are the names that pretty much everybody knows because they've been fantastic prospects and they've performed all season long Is there anybody that you have seen beyond them that stood out to you one way or the other? Yeah, I think um, out of the the pitching arms that Toronto has right now, there's definitely some very intriguing ones. Um, Somebody who really stood out to me, I've gotten to see him over the last two years, is John Harris, um, who got the taste of double A this year and had a really, really strong year last year. Hit a little bit of a bump in the road this year with New Hampshire, and I got to actually talk to him at spring training And he said a big piece to what he was focusing on was just learning the pace of double-A hitters. Um, He's the type of guy that has the type of arsenal that's very successful when he knows how to use it. And so I think this was a little bit of a year of self-discovery for him as well. Um, He's a big guy. He's 6'4", 175 pounds, has a really good mix to work with, but just kind of had to figure himself out in the Eastern League. And so he's somebody that I still feel could see a lot of success And then you've got other guys like Connor Green, who we all know is a larger-than-life personality, both on and off the field. (laughs) Male model. (laughs) Putting putting it mildly, he does not lack confidence. Um, He's another one that is really just – he's got an exceptional skill set. I think he's another one that is kind of having to – fine-tune some of what he has to work with. I know he had a little bit of a bumpy season on and off this year, as did Sean Reed Foley. Um, Some very exceptional arms, and I think this year, moving into the Eastern League, kind of getting that flow of being a part of New Hampshire, a lot of them had to figure out who they were. And so while some of them didn't see the success they wanted, I think next season you could still see some really good stuff from them as they find more of their own flow individually. All right. Thank you. Very cool. Um, so it's always nice to have someone to talk about the future when the major league team is in the toilet. So I would like to thank you for coming by uh, and yes. uh, giving us your take on a few of the Blue Jays prospects, even though you're more of a Tigers person. We still appreciate <laughs> your, your unbiased. I am. 
<laughs> I, I am more of a Tigers person, but I will say I can 110% relate to having your major league team in the toilet. So my heart <laughs> is with you guys. <laughs> All right, I'll rescind the boo. We'll commiserate in our misery. We'll play the boo backwards. I, I, <laughs> yes, I think that sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find Emily on Twitter at Emily Walden 2080. Uh, you could find her work at 2080 Baseball or at The Athletic Detroit. Once again, thank you, Emily, and have yourself a fine evening. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. It was a good time. Welcome back. Uh, We have always enjoyed getting another set of eyeballs on our young players, and Emily certainly provided that. Yeah, there's also nice... You know, we get scouting reports filtering in from pretty much everywhere these days. But it's also nice to get a little bit more of the you know, the emotional aspect of the game and, and how they approach it. Because you don't really hear that from people who just sit in the stands with a radar gun, right? No, these are people. I mean, that's what the long and the short of it is. Baseball players are people. And it's especially in the age of fantasy baseball, super easy to forget that, that that's an important thing to manage as well. Yeah. Uh, that said, our people are questions people. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Alrighty. We have not too many questions, but we have a real doozy at the end. Um, so we'll start with Quinn, who is now at Bobachette, by the way, just in case you wonder where his... Uh, his uh, allegiances lie. Given how overworked the bullpen has been, would be in favor of shutting down some of our most overused guys, Osuna, Tapera, Barnes, or Leon, and or Leon. Would you, Josh? First off, how did he get that handle? <laughs> <laughs> I note the absence of a blue check mark at the moment. <laughs> so would I shut some of these guys down? Uh, I would consider with Osuna and Tapera both. Tapera, um, he's also thrown a ton of innings, but he has a bit more of a history with as being a starter in the minors, so I think it's less of a worry. Oh, you know, we said we for sure, and I don't think I would actually shut down the other three. I just think I would ease them back. You've got all these September arms to go through instead of having them throw every time the game is close, like we talked about a couple podcasts mm. ago. Just say, hey, you know what, Tim Mesa, you're the seventh inning guy today. You and your ERA around. Nine. <laughs> right, exactly. And Carlos Ramirez, you get the eight. You know, just, but not every time it's close, go to the same guys. I think that's all you really need to do there. Yeah, and I think Danny Barnes is showing some, maybe some of that wear and tear too. Just He has mm-hmm. not been the same guy since that DL stint, and it would maybe be fair to him to uh, to ease up as well. But I think I think sometimes players would, would not be happy getting shut down early. Oh, I agree. So there's that to consider as well. Uh, Luke at Split Letters asks us, who do you think will be the highest impact prospect not named Vlad or Bo over the next three or so years? I'm going to assume this is people that aren't going to be in the big league, so I'm not going to include Anthony Alford in this because I think he's going to be up next year. Yep. I think it's Nate Pearson. We were talking about runless performances. He was the Jays' first rounder this year, and for his first five starts in Dunedin, or sorry, in Vancouver, he didn't give up a run, and he throws 102. And People out there are saying that he looks as good as Aaron Sanchez did there. So I think that's a name. Is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. still a prospect? 
He is. I think he could make a huge difference to this team if he's at all versatile because even if he is sort of a super utility player, a guy who can hit a little bit and actually play some positions, we, we haven't had that guy in so long in Toronto. <laughs> you know, I think you make a good point, especially because he said three or so years. Pearson might not really be ready until three years from now. Guriel should be ready next year. And like you said, he can fill in everywhere. If we don't have to play Ryan Goins every time someone gets hurt in the middle of the field, my God, what a difference. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and Brad Obrenowitz asks, is B. Anderson 37-37? Yes, Brad Anderson, as we spoke about just a few minutes ago, the best Jays player Twitter account to follow. Is it even close? This week? <laughs> 100%. I feel like uh drunk brett anderson may or may not be a hundred percent behind some of the thing uh, the 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 tweets and i'm not sure sober brett anderson feels the same way <laughs> i don't know <laughs> he's <laughs> tweeted a bunch but the deleting of something might lend some credence to your <laughs> viewpoint there anything is possible um who else oh yes our doozy of a question from minor leaguer um Situation. So this this comes back to the definition of struck out the side, which is, this is like is a hot dog a sandwich, isn't it? Or when did they bat around? Uh, it's more like the latter, but sure. <laughs> I feel like that the level of importance of the actual answer is much less important than the fact that you're arguing about it. So this is this is struck out the side. So situation: Zach Jackson struck out the first batter. Struck out the second, who reached on the drop third strike. Struck out the third batter. Then the second guy was caught stealing to end the inning. In your opinion, Josh, did Zach Jackson strike out the side? He did not. I think he absolutely struck out the side, but he did not retire the side via strikeout. Okay, what? so say that, <laughs> say that guy instead of getting caught stealing... Say the next batter grounds out. Did he strike out the side? Uh, gee, ooh, ooh. That's that's tough. Well, okay. Well, I, instead of doing that, for you, is striking out the side just striking out all three outs, or is it three batters? Okay. First of all, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step back. Presented with a logical argument from you, I would say no. He did not strike out the side. <laughs> I I I, uh, I bow to you, your logic. Um, but in 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 my definition, striking out the side is striking out the three batters in an inning, yeah. regardless of what else happens. So the the three outs are via strikeout, basically. Yes, you make outs via yes. strikeout. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one too. But yeah, and this time I so I, we're in agreement. This is a no. But then there was another situation. This is just sort of a fun one. Then he went. This is this the the next tweet there from minor leaguer. Yeah, so this is John Harris actually, not Jackson. He struck out three batters on nine pitches at once in the sixth inning, but the last pitch was a wild one that gave, allowed the runner <sighs> to reach, so it wasn't an immaculate inning. And then he went zero and one on the next batter before a single. If he'd struck out that batter on four on three pitches, what would you call it? Um, well, certainly, just like a perfect game can be ruined by an error in the field, an immaculate inning. I would think can be ruined by a pass ball or a wild pitch, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not an immaculate inning. <laughs> it's just badass. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, four guys on 12 pitches? 
<laughs> uh, what it is, is time to get a new catcher. <laughs> I think it's time to move up a league. That's what that would be. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of things. I don't think it has a name yet because I don't think it really happens. Uh, fun fact, Felix Hernandez and Steve Delabar share something. Do you know what they share? Do they both have an immaculate inning and a four strikeout inning? Yes. So anytime someone compares uh, Steve Delabar to another pitcher, you could say, oh, he's just like Felix Hernandez. <laughs> we should tell him that. He'll make him feel better about not having a career anymore. In one very specific way. Uh, we can leave that part out. Yeah, <laughs> just you're just like Felix, man. You're just like Felix. Uh, totally, un- totally unrelated. Uh, we're going to uh, hand out a do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... I, I don't even know if this do-over... The way this unfolded makes any sense. This is about the Red Sox stealing signs from the Yankees. Which yes. is, is, I mean, I don't even know who the bad guy is anymore <laughs> in baseball. Well, to make this really ambiguous, the Red Sox are claiming that the Yankees did the same thing and they have proof of it. Of course, because in America now, the best, the best defense is a good offense, as we have learned from their politics and various other things going on. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so they were relaying messages from the booth down to people in the dugout. Or right on the field. That's what I'm trying to do. In the dugout with Apple Watches, who are then relaying them via normal signals to the to the players on the field. Which is illegal because you're not allowed to use any electronic devices in the dugout. That's why you don't get players tweeting mid game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and there's been long-standing rules about using electronic devices to steal signs. Stealing signs in general is part of the game, and it's the reason catchers go into sequences when they run around second base. So people getting upset over sign stealing has always been silly. And I think you and I have agreed that it's always been silly. Mm -hmm. But using electronic measures to do it is taboo. You're not allowed to do it, and it's kind of dirty. There's some specific rules against it because it's been kind of dirty for a long, long time. And that's where Major League Baseball drew the line. The part I'm a little confused about is when the Red Sox were accused of this, They just kind of fessed up to it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what the heck? Apparently there was some level of evidence that they couldn't really say no to, but here's a question. Like, what do you do? Apparently they've been doing this a lot because they have evidence from this one specific series, but it's not unique to that. This isn't a man in white scenario where there's some thing about a fan holding up signs, which, by the way, is totally legal. (laughs) It never happened, happened, but it's totally legal. As long as the signs aren't neon uh, powered by electronic... Yeah, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) What does the league do? (sighs) Like, there's a rule against it. What's the penalty in the rule? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a lot of people saying, man, they need to really come down on them, and there's other people going, it doesn't seem like Major League Baseball is going to be real hardcore about this. Because maybe they don't know what the penalty is supposed to be, and they're worried about setting a precedent that they can't back up. Yeah. What's the do-over, Josh? Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Don't get caught, really. I mean, (laughs) that's what it is. (laughs) Use something less flashy. Maybe, Maybe some sort of Android watch. Maybe... 
<laughs> yeah, come on and apologize for being sloppy. Yeah, we could do and that. Saying, you know what, we, 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 we're going to keep doing this, but we'll just be more discreet about it. That is probably the most likely uh, do-over acceptance condition that we've ever had around here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Someone might actually stop by. Oh, there we go. One do-over out of the way. Mr. Josh, it's almost time for the podcast to be out of the way, but I do ask, do you have a final thought for this week? I actually didn't. It's been like the first time ever. And the reason, I've been on vacation, so I have watched not as much baseball, but I'm going to turn this into a final thought. It's been kind of freeing. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm just sort of getting the filtered in. Oh, they lost? Okay. Oh, geez, it was 19 innings. Glad I didn't watch all of that. I'm I'm right so, there with you, brother. Just like we gave out the gold star to the people still watching, uh, I really can't fault anybody for for kind of tuning. I'm I'm hoping that there's some fresh faces on this team t- next year who we can get kind of pumped about because this crew, as currently assembled, is is not an inspiring team to watch by any measure of of the word inspiring. No. And I'm now I'm not going to stop watching because I'm curious to watch some of these young kids. Carlos Ramirez, another two shutout innings today. Nice. I want to see this guy. But that's the reason I'm watching now. I want to see Smoke hit 40 home runs. I want to see if Donaldson gets to 30 and not caring about the wins and losses anymore. And I'm going to watch because this is going to be it for Jose Bautista. I, I think we're both pretty sure on that. And I don't want to miss the end of that because he's been the best. I, I totally see where you're at with all of those things. And, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, they all felt like this in September. So for those of you who came around when the Blue Jays started making noise in 2015, um, sorry, there's a lot of seasons like this for most teams. Uh, I hope you enjoyed 2015 and 2016. And as we kind of roll here into to 2018, hopefully we don't have to experience this again. That said, as I as I mentioned last week, you, you're probably not going to be spending your hard-earned cash on Blue Jays tickets. So uh, think Unless about you it. already did. Yeah, like some of us. <laughs> think of think of it as a possible way to donate just a, just a tiny slice of that to our Patreon at www.patreon.com/turfpod, where you can help us make the podcast a little bit better. And that said, this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 73 i have been greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 you have been joshua housem at joshua housem and our guest was emily walden at emily walden 28 thanks for listening and we'll talk at you next week